0: Baptisms are today at one p.m. Okay, first service, half the people, twice the noise from that. I don't know what's wrong with you. One p.m. today, baptisms. You're all supposed to come and hang out and be there and eat nachos. Okay, now here's the deal. It's how it works. So uh, A through L, you're bringing meat of some sort. It's- Some sort, not like roadkill, like, oh, I forgot, and on the way over, I hit a squirrel, I'll bring that. That's not what you, some type of meat. I went to El Toro and bought two pounds of carne asada for today. (laughs) Seriously, bring bring some meat, A A through, um, what is it, M through R, you're bringing desserts, and that's enough to share. Not like, oh, I brought myself a cupcake, you're bringing enough for everybody. Uh, I would actually say A through Z, you're bringing desserts. Uh, If you're S through Z, your last name, you're bringing salsa and beans. Uh, I'm sure you'll have leftovers, whatever. I even made some homemade salsa as well as the carne asada. That's how much I love you. So you better show up. All right, uh, this Wednesday night is the last Element U for the spring semester that we're doing, so we invite you all to show up. If you've been to one of the Element U's and given up in the past, this one, we are going to cover the problems with the Christian position, and so these are all the arguments kind of against Christianity we're going to deal with. If you haven't been to any of the Element U's or you have been and you kind of petered out, just pull it together one last week, 6.30 this Wednesday night, show up, and we'll finish this puppy off. It'll be a whole lot of fun. And anybody here ever shop at Amazon? All right, so almost every... You can buy desserts. <laughs> They'll deliver it by drone. Anyway, uh, so since you guys shop at Amazon, here, here's this really cool thing. Instead of, you, instead of going to, uh, you know, Amazon.com, you hit smile.amazon.com. And what it does is it brings up this thing on Amazon's site, which is this... Uh, they, where It's a, a thing where they help nonprofits. And so they, like, 0.5%, and I know it's not a lot, but a lot of you guys spend a lot of money on crap. So, you know... <laughs> 0.5% of whatever you buy, you can actually designate it to come to Element. So I know we feed your addiction. How's that? So uh, when you when you log into Amazon.com on the side, it'll say you know what organization you want to give to. You. It'll have like like Red Cross and all that stuff. On the underneath that, you can actually type in Element Christian Church, and it will come up and it'll be and it'll say you know Santa Maria, California. Click on that one. 5, 0.5% of everything you spend goes to Element. That's right. I know. I know. So seriously, you don't have to change your lifestyle at all and you're giving more money to own it. It's awesome. We're just here to help. (laughs) Welcome. Amen. Thank God for Amazon, apparently. Anyway, uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are also sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. But if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. Click on Live in Uversion It brings up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes and verses and questions and all that goes along with today's message because I think it's a doozy for you. So why don't you stand with me. You're reading God's Word. This is John chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, and Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people who understand what persecution is and what persecution isn't. And that in the midst of whatever happens in our lives, we would continually focus upon you because you are God and you are good. Even when we don't understand the things that are happening, you have sifted all things through your hands and you are sovereign above all. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so Sermon on the Mount, week 11, and I know as we go through these, some of these messages start to sound vaguely familiar. It's because we're trying to work all the first Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount together so they make sense, so you understand them, Uh, and we're going to, we have a lot to get through today, and hopefully I won't offend too many of you by the time we get to the end of it, Uh, but I'm sure you know from the outset this is not going to be one of the happiest messages you ever really hear at Element, because Jesus ends the Beatitudes at a place no one likes to talk about, and this is the idea of persecution. Now, if we walk through the Beatitudes, you see there is a trajectory to the the Beatitudes. So, Matthew 5, Jesus starts out talking about blessed are the poor in spirit, that God meets us in our moral depravity when we don't have it all together. When we are poor in spirit, God meets us there. And then, blessed are those who mourn when we see and understand how we have blown it. And we understand that we mourn over our sin and then blessed are the meek, the humble, those who realize that we cannot save ourselves, that Jesus is the one who came and rescued and saved us. We become very humble. Then we begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness, God's righteousness, a righteousness that actually comes from him. And when we understand these things, we begin to live differently. We become the merciful, where we have compassion for those around us in the same straits that we are or the straits that we were. And we become pure in heart. We become less judgmental, hopefully less cynical, less hypocritical, and we live as a single-minded devotion to Christ. And this turns into peacemakers. Well, we now have love for everyone out there, and not just everyone within the walls who agrees with us. Jesus had made peace with us, so we make peace with those around us. It's about love and grace and hope, but it's really a lot also about honesty. And sometimes living as God calls us to can sometimes bring anger because people just won't get it when you begin to live the Beatitudes out in your life. Because a lot of people in this world don't really want peace, although they claim they do. What they want is power and privilege. It has been true throughout history that those who claim they want peace the most ended up making the most genocide and the most wars. Rome, when Jesus spoke, Rome was known for what was called the Pax Romana, which is called the Roman peace the roman peace they brought the roman peace about by slaughtering anybody who disagreed with them and so people who want true peace usually are the opposite of a lot of governmental systems who claim they want peace which will ultimately in the end lead to persecution and in matthew 5:10 this is why jesus says blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven living the way that god calls us to live is not always the easiest thing the cross first corinthians tells you it brings division Peace can actually bring division, but we are to be a people of peace. Shalom, God's rightness in the world, because our God is on a rescue mission for this world, and He's invited you and I to be a part of that rescue mission. Now, open your Bibles to John chapter 16. It's kind of the verse that we started with this morning. Uh, Jesus didn't want us or His disciples ignorant of the fact that there will be persecution, this is why in John 16 verses 1 through 4, this is what Jesus says. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember, what, remember that I told them to you. This is the idea that Jesus says, don't be surprised if or when persecution comes. Don't be like, I can't believe what's happening. Jesus says, it is going to happen. So this morning what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little bit of history. We're going to flush this out, show you how the disciples died, and show you how some martyrs in the early church died, some stuff going on today, and then some sarcastic introspection about ourselves, which I hope you'll excuse me for, but whatever. Okay, so uh, the first martyr in the history of the Christian church is a guy that we called Stephen. You can read about him in Acts 6-8. through Stephen is a deacon in a church. He's devout. He serves God faithfully, and this made a lot of people angry, which if you're a deacon at Element, that should scare you. You love Jesus so much that people may want to, to kill you for it. He essentially gets drugged in before some religious men who ask him, Why are you conducting your life this way? And so he lays out the history of the Jewish nation. He talks about how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything they've been looking for. This makes all these men very angry, which I think is funny because they're the ones that ask the question in the first place, and then they get mad at him when he answers the question. One of these angry people is a guy named Saul, who eventually becomes Paul and writes most New Testament letters. And what Paul, Saul, does is he oversees the stoning, the killing, the murdering of Stephen. Paul, in his own letters, says that previously he was a persecutor of the church. He was a violent and a zealous man. And so Stephen gets murdered for loving Jesus. And what does he do as he is getting murdered? He starts to pray for the people who are killing him. If you and I were being persecuted and murdered and we started to pray, we would pray, God, make them stop or kill them all. That's what we would pray. Stephen prays for those who are killing him. And what happens is that God answers that prayer and Saul becomes Paul and he becomes a Christian. Paul, uh, is, is this guy who before he was a believer broke out a persecution against the Christian church. The church at this point is not very big, like three to five thousand people. Paul ends up being the head of a thing that kills two thousand of them. Two thousand. That's, that's a lot when the church is, that's like, you know, one third to half of the church that's there. I mean, that's, that's a large number, like we took, you know, this whole service out and just took you out. I mean, that's like a third of the elements. Not saying we're going to do that. Okay, whatever. So what happens is that as Saul is going on his next place to kill some more Christians. Jesus shows up, knocks him on his butt, blinds him and says, why are you persecuting me? Which shows that Jesus looks at the persecution of his church as actually persecuting himself and so Paul becomes a preacher a teacher a pastor again writes most New Testament books he is eventually beheaded in Rome he's a Roman citizen so you couldn't crucify him Philip was whipped imprisoned, prison and crucified it almost seems like the Roman government liked to crucify followers of Jesus as a mockery to his name you get to Matthew Matthew was killed with a long handled axe or sword he has had a five to six foot long handle ending with an axe with a little bayonet on it so if you were like whacking and you couldn't kill him with that you just run him through with the other end and that's how they killed matthew james the author of the book of james jesus brother at 94 years old he is beaten and stone and his brains are crushed out of his head i mean think of how much you have to hate what is going on to take a 94 year old man and crush his brains out of his head Matthias, the guy who replaces Judas, is a twelfth disciple. He is stoned and then beheaded because, you know, stoning is not good enough. You've got to cut off your head to make sure it's done. In this culture, it's customary to cut off someone's head, place it on top of a pole or a pike as testimony. You don't mess with the government, and you don't do or worship what this guy did. If you do, your head gets put on a pike, so it tells everybody what not to do. Andrew, Peter's brother, one of the first disciples. Andrew's the guy you look throughout the scriptures and he is always telling people about Jesus. Oh, you got to know Jesus. you got to come meet Jesus. Like the, the feeding the 5,000. I mean, Andrew's the one like, hey, we got a little boy over here and he's got some fishes and some loaves. Andrew's that guy, always looking around him. Now, most of the time before they crucified people, they would beat them severely. The beatings are so severe that people most often didn't survive them. Jesus himself was whipped 39 times. And this whip was a piece of leather with a sharp hood with metal or bone embedded in it. And you would strip someone naked and you would hit them with this. And the way it was designed with these metal or bone, it would cut into your flesh. It would hold on to your flesh and your muscles and rip it off of your bones when they pulled it back. There are actually accounts not just of ribs being broken in these lashings, but ribs being pulled free from people's bodies when they pulled the whip back and they sent ribs flying. Now, maybe this didn't do with Andrew because when they crucified Andrew, he hung on a cross for two days. Now, do you know what you die from typically from hanging on a cross? Suffocation. It's not blood loss because you're like, <gasps> That's how you got to breathe. You got to pull yourself up with these, you know, your crucified wrist. So that's, that's how he's dying. Now, Andrew uh, didn't want to waste an opportunity. He hangs on this cross for two days. And this is like a show. People in this culture would come by and look at people being crucified. They'd bring like their old fruit and their popcorn. They throw the fruit at you and mock you and eat their popcorn and then mock your manhood because you were crucified naked. So they would mock you the entire time. So Andrew, what he does hanging on this cross is he preaches for two days. All the verses he had memorized, all the scriptures he knew, he talks about Jesus. (gasps) You need to love and follow Jesus. (gasps) You can be blessed just like me. (gasps) Imagine that strangest altar call in the world, right? You can be blessed just like me. History tells you people actually believed at the foot of Andrew's cross. He uses this as an opportunity for opener evangelism because people are there to watch. Uh, Mark, the writer of the book of Mark, is torn apart by a mob. Jude, the writer of the book of Jude, is crucified. Bartholomew was beaten, then crucified, then beheaded, just for good measure. Thomas, uh, doubting Thomas, run through with the spear when he was in Africa. Uh, Luke was hanged. Simon, not Simon Peter, Simon was crucified. Peter was going to be crucified. And he said, I am not worthy to die like my Lord. So they crucify him upside down. James, John's brother, you know, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of Thunder, uh, he is brought before a Roman official and given a death sentence to be beheaded. And they say, any last words? He goes, well, yeah. And this Roman official had killed just countless numbers of Christians. And so James is like, you know what? I'm going to drop the hammer on you. You are a sinful man, a reprobate, the enemy of God. You will die in your sins. You are destined for hell. You have one opportunity to believe in Jesus before you cut my head off. What's your answer? And this guy is cut to his heart, and he's all, I cannot continue to slaughter Christians. And he goes, I cannot kill this man. And so, what happens is this guy gets beheaded along with James. I mean, imagine that. You know, you're about to die right there. The courage of that, I may as well die. I'm going to tell them about Jesus right now. John, John outlived all the other apostles despite his attempted murder. And people say, oh, isn't it so wonderful you couldn't kill John? Well, maybe not so much. At one point, they tried to boil John in oil. And it's not that the oil bounced off him. He burned and he had these severe scars the rest of his life. But he never stopped worshiping Jesus. And because they couldn't kill him, they exile him to this island called Patmos, which is in Turkey, which is where he writes the book of Revelation from. John is then released eventually from exile. And what does he do? continues to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He leads early pastors. He trains them. He plants churches. He lives to be over 100 years old and sees almost everyone he knows die. He buries many people that he leads to Christ, people who are in his church, and he still preaches faith in Jesus. Jesus is good. Jesus will bless your life. He's calling people to faith, knowing whoever may believe may actually, he may actually have to do their funeral for very soon. And John recalls Jesus saying, don't be shocked when this happens. This is how it's going to go. John 16, Matthew 5. Persecution of the church becomes much more pronounced under a guy named Nero. Uh, Nero is a sociopath. He killed his nanny, killed his mother, killed his uh, killed his wife. He is violent. He is aggressive. He wants to rebuild Rome in his own image. And at this point where Nero comes about, Christianity is growing rather quickly. Because what Christianity did is they adopted cultural evangelism strategies from around them. What that means is that people at this time didn't have like welfare or anything like that. What they had was trade guilds. It's like a union. And so these they would come together in these trade guilds and they would pay some dues. They would gather to eat. They would take care of each other's families. They would worship a little guild god. And Christians adopted this. They gathered during the week. They ate a meal. They took an offering. They held weddings and funerals. They took on a familiar structure of those around them. And they grew quickly because... This was familiar to the Roman and the Hellenist Jews. So in Rome, you could be any religion you wanted to be as long as you also worship Caesar as Lord. Once a year, you had to go into Caesar's temple, burn incense to Caesar because he is the embodiment of Rome. He is the glory of Rome. And you had to say, you know, Caesar is Lord. If you didn't do this, you were going against that government. You were committing treason. The problem is that Christians wouldn't worship Caesar. And eventually the Roman government got involved because they started looking at this little group and they found all these people following Jesus who weren't worshipping different guild gods. They were actually worshipping Jesus. They could care less about Caesar. This is offensive to them because what Caesar would do is he would have bread and circus. He would do a little show, give out a little bread. But Christians, in order to display peace, actually fed everybody around them. They actually loved each other so well that Rome thought it was an act of war upon Rome itself. And so they looked and they said, who are these petty small people with their civic structures poking Rome in the eyeball? And persecution breaks out. At one point, Nero sees Rome burning. He wouldn't put it out. Other accounts say he actually started the fire himself so that he could rebuild Rome in his own image. The citizens of Rome are mad. They begin to go storm down you know, this, Nero's palace. You know, their family died or your home is burned. So they go storm his gates. Nero to cover himself makes a scapegoat. And he says, those Christians did it. Those Christians say their God is a consuming fire. He will consume with fire. And so Rome turns on Christians and a persecution breaks out. Now, this is a lot like today. There's a ton of people on TV and in movies and in print, and they're always telling you all these things that Christians believe. And they're not Christians themselves. Can I just say, if someone doesn't claim to be a Christian, don't trust them to tell you what Christians believe. All the time. Bill Maher, don't trust them to tell you what Christians believe. Anybody unlike MSNBC, don't trust them to tell you what Christians believe. They just say all kinds of crazy stuff. So the Roman Empire rises against the children of God. Amphitheaters get built where the main show is Christians running around and getting murdered for sport. Nero would roll Christians in wax or resin and light them on fire so he could have light for estate parties. He would take Christians and he would draw and quarter the young men where they would tie ropes to every appendage. And they'd smack the horses on the butts and boom, your arm, your leg would go flying off as the horses took off. He would walk up. Oh, they're still alive. Time to the other three. Do it again. Oh, he's still alive. Time to two. Do it again. That was Nero. He's just a crazy guy. What happens if you want to be a Christian? You read John 16. Read Matthew 5.10. That's what they expected. Today, when we say, oh, follow Jesus, we think, oh, God's going to bring me comfort. God's going to bless me. They viewed their lives as being blessed and they expected Persecution. And it wasn't just men who were persecuted. Women were persecuted as well. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs sometimes. All this stuff is really in there. Uh, You have Agatha. She is a beautiful, godly young woman. She loves Jesus. And there's advances towards her by a Roman ruler. And she said no because she's saving herself for marriage. I mean, if only believers took it that seriously. You know, today. She refuses to fire herself. So this ruler arrested her, placed her under the care of a prostitute who services a great number of men. Still, she refuses to sleep with this guy. He gives her one last chance. She said no so he whips her he burns her with irons puts hooks in her flesh and lays her on a bed of coals and glass now he doesn't let her die though after all that he takes her and locks her away and lets her slowly die and deteriorate in captivity you have a young lady love Jesus named Perpetua she's a pregnant woman near her due date she is thrown into the Colosseum wild boars gore her through her stomach kill her and her unborn child why? because she claimed to be a believer and Rome wanted to discourage Christians from having any more children and do you know that not just in the early church, but in the last 150 years, more Christians have been martyred than the previous 1,850 years combined? In 2003, just 10 years ago, China, they took bulldozers to house churches. Now, I'm kind of irritated a few years ago that we had the Olympics there, that we would give any money to that government that does that to its people. It just drives me nuts. They, they bulldoze 200 house churches, they arrest 35 pastors, and they send them through two years of communist reeducation. Most of them don't make it. In 2004 in Pakistan, there were women who worked at a garment factory. They're walking home, Christians and Muslims both. Four thugs show up. They kidnap these women. They let the Muslim women go, and they repeatedly gang-rape the Christian women. And they say, don't report it. Then they let them go. Seven girls between 16 and 18, one 35-year-old married woman. The women say, you know, we're going to tell the police about this. Their boss hears wind of it and says, you don't tell the police, and if you do, there's going to be repercussions. They tell the police anyway. They got fired, plus 60 other Christians who worked in this garment factory got fired, and the police did nothing about any of it in the end. You get raped, 68 people lose their job. In 2014, today, in North Korea, Christians are still being arrested and killed or sent through re-education. In 2013, our buddy Egypt had another riot where four Christians were killed at the funeral for these four men. 200 Muslims show up, and they beat the snot out of the people there at the funeral. It's crazy. It's crazy. In 2014, Pakistan, even now, has passed more blasphemy laws where you can go to jail for being a Christian. And, in the, and since the beginning of 2014, they have uh, accounts of 35 people already being arrested for blasphemy laws for following Jesus. Now, you can go to a place called persecution.org. You can get involved with this stuff and understand more and more that's going on. But a lot of times we hear about this stuff and we think it's us versus them. It's us versus them. Jesus says it's not about us versus them. That's not how you look at that. You've got to understand that first. Jesus tells his students what will happen is people are going to try and kill you. They will reject you. But the rejection is not of you. It is of God our Father. And the question becomes why. Why if you really love others, if you really follow Jesus, if you live the Beatitudes, why will others hate you? The answer is that Jesus is coming to the world. He is light in the world, but people live in darkness, and light exposes darkness. It exposes sin. If you love God to any real degree, not some, you know, crazy as seen on TV nut job Christian kind of way, but, but really living the Beatitudes and loving Jesus, there are people who will not like you because you are reflecting God's light into this darkness. If you simply love and live with God uprightly by virtue of your life, you will point out the crookedness around you. You will. And people hate that. People want to get rid of you because they don't want to change and you simply bother them. This is why. If you hang out with, with your buddies and they're always doing crazy stuff and you're like, no, no, no. And one day you give in, they're like, yeah, way to go. They're so excited for you because you have finally stopped exposing the darkness. And when you do live for Jesus, you can sometimes even apologize. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I love you. What can I do? The nicer you are, sometimes the more violent people become because they want you to sin with them so they stop looking bad. By you following Jesus, people tend to look Worse. Not that you should make them feel worse, or, but they just do. perfect example, if you have a marriage, and you love each other, and you speak kind words to each other, and you serve each other, and you honor each other, people with bad marriages who are around you, you drive them nuts because they don't know what to do with You, you just, oh, you frustrate them. When we become a measure of God's grace in this world, Jesus says we can expect negative reactions. It does not mean that we declare a culture war. It does not mean that we pick an issue to get people mad at us. We declare love and peace by what we say and what we do. And many times that love and peace is a declaration of war because people hate that. Now, I think in America, I'll make it real for you, we're living in an age of God's tremendous grace. God has been so good to us. He is kind and nice. He has spared us throughout history. God has used persecution to grow his people and strengthen his church. James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because that grows your faith. The most that James was circulated was during the time of Nero. And so some Christians today say, well, let's pray for persecution. That's what we need. We'll grow. That's dumb. You don't pray for persecution. I mean, if you want to pray for someone to club you over the head, go home and club yourself. Don't pray for other people to do it. I mean, if persecution comes, fine. Great. We'll take it. Don't pray for it. Our hearts should be prepared for it. And I don't, I don't want to hold funerals for you being killed. I mean, today we think we have it so bad. We do. I mean, it could always get worse. But the fact that we can morbidly sit around and with all these excuses for not doing what we're supposed to do and living the way we're supposed to live and blame everything in our lives and everyone else just proves we're fine. We have way too much free time on our hands. We are constantly looking at ourselves, trying to figure out why we have it so hard. Because we're a soft people. God has let us have it so good for so long, we have become so soft. And some of us like to create justifying reasons why we don't live for Jesus. And we say, oh, you know, we don't understand. It's just so hard. Oh, poor me. I don't know what to do. And yet Jesus says crazy things like pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And we don't get that because we got a fridge full of food or we eat out all the time. And then we never give to anything else because I don't have any money because we eat out all the time. You know, anyone ever pray for daily bread? No, no. We have bread for today and tomorrow. Jesus says, you know, give me enough bread for one day. We are fine. We really have no idea. Some believers today live in refugee camps with one blanket wondering if they're going to be alive tomorrow. And we say, oh, you know, I was going to read my Bible, but DirecTV got installed and had all these new HD channels, and there's so much on. You know, the Walking Dead finale was on. I couldn't spare five minutes just to read my Bible. I had to watch that right then, you know. In China, some areas have one Bible for an entire house church. What they do is they cut up the pages and give them to everybody in the house church. So if someone gets arrested, they don't get, the government doesn't get the whole Bible. And yet we have 10 in our house that just collect dust. I don't say that to make you feel guilty. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is telling you, we're fine. We live in an age of tremendous grace from our God. Now, can I be sarcastic with you for a moment? (laughs) Not that I haven't been, but I mean worse, Okay. Don't get mad at me. I just I, I think it's good to be sarcastic and point this out. And I kind of mentioned this a few years ago, but I think it'll be funny if one day we end up in heaven, right? And there's and there's all these brothers in Christ from like Sudan and India and Indonesia and all the 21st century United States Christians show up late to dinner because we're in therapy or something, talking about our childhood, how our parents messed us all up and, and all this stuff. And we walk into dinner and maybe they're talking about Matthew 5:10 and persecution. You know, they've been beaten and stoned and shot and raped. And we burst in with our 20. First century, you know, persecution story. Oh, yeah, I clung to Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes. I was in America. You cannot believe how hard it was to be a Christian in America. But thank God they came out with a couple books. They had this book. It was called The Prayer of Jabez. It was wonderful because it was really short. Give me the four things. If I did those four things, I could whack God's pinata, and I could have all the things that I wanted. Then I read this book. It's called The Shack, and I realized God isn't huge and sovereign. God's an old woman, and the Holy Spirit's like a hippie. It made me feel so much better that God is just like me. You know, he's not huge and sovereign. So I prayed the prayer prayer of Jabez, and I realized the goal of the Christian life is to be blessed. God's supposed to just give me comfort. That's, That's what blessing means. It's all about helping me. And so I was reading this book called Heaven is for Real, which must be because I'm here. Doesn't look the same as Colton said, but whatever. You know. Anyway, I was reading. I was reading this book on on the bus. You know, and this guy looked at me and was really weird. And I was like, Oh, that's Matthew five ten right there. He's looking at me. I'm so persecuted. So I decided I need to buy a car. I had to stop giving to my church to buy this car. You know, but I'm going to buy this car because I can't pray in a bus with all that persecution. And I had to get a really good stereo in my car because I can't worship God without surround sound remote controls. And then I had to go to the Christian bookstore and buy one of those fish. I don't know if you had one of those fish in Rwanda. But, you know, it was this great evangelistic tool that that we had in America. We put it on our cars, and I'm so sure that that half the people here got saved because of fish on someone's car. I mean, I got to witness to 10,000 people without the mess of even having to meet anybody. How wonderful is that? So, you know, I went to my local movie theater to go see my new Christian movie. I was so excited. It was at the movie theater, and I drove in. It's called, God's not dead. And I walked in, and I was going in there, and someone saw the fish in my car and flipped me off. And I said, oh, Matthew 5.10. Persec- if it's this hard, I don't know if I can follow Jesus. And the guy from the student's is going to look at you and be like, you know, you made it this far. Now we're going to persecute you. That's what we're going to do here. <laughs> I say that to tell you we are fine. Because you drove here in a car. You heard me read from the Scripture without fear of someone killing you while you're doing it. You're going to drive home, change. You will go back to baptisms, take the directions on the t- community tables around us. After baptisms, you will go home. You'll open your fridge. You'll sit on your couch. You'll watch your TV. And I know you will wish that your car was bigger and your cholesterol was lower and your spouse was smaller, but you are fine. You are fine. If you watch Christian TV for any length of time, they will say things like, Oh, pray for God to bless you. Pray for more stuff. Most of the stuff in the world is already here. It already belongs to us. You will go home and turn on your tap. You will get hot and cold running water. And we pray, Oh, God bless me. God is saying, I have blessed you. I have blessed you. Get off your butt. Live the Beatitudes. We are not blessed to be fat and happy. We are blessed to be a blessing to all nations of the earth. That's why God has blessed us. I mean, sure, things may be getting a little worse today, but God has still been good to us. The worst story in this room is better than the average story in the history of the Christian church. We are blessed to be a blessing. And how can you and I begin to do that? We pray, we pray, and we start to understand how impossibly good God has been to us. And if you are a person in this room that throws a pity party for yourself and says, Oh, woe is me. God's not blessing me enough. God's not giving me all the things that I want. Your eyes are on you. Your eyes are on you. They're not on Jesus. If you have an excuse for everything, you're apathetic about everything, you should apologize to God. You repent because the gospel is not about you. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want you to take a little bit of time as, you know, the band's going to play some songs and things like that. But I want you to think about the life he has given you. All the great things, your friends, your opportunities, your food, your church, your love, your life, your job, himself, all of that. Then I want you to start praying for somebody else. I want you to think about somebody else and I want you to pray for them. Then I want you to take communion, honor God's call to be a blessing in this world, and actually begin to live the Beatitudes because God has blessed us beyond what we can imagine. And hopefully, you do come to baptisms today. And I'll tell you, no one is going to show up and shoot you for being there, for loving Jesus. And you know what that means? That means you should invite people. It means you should talk about Jesus. It means you should live and love in your life for Him, representing who He is. And if at some day in our country persecution comes, you know, I'll tell you, that shouldn't be something that pulls us away from Jesus. It should be something that makes us fall farther and farther and farther into His loving arms. Because he has already blessed us. I mean, many times when we look at how bad things are, oh, look what's happening to me. We're making persecution all about ourselves. That's not even, it's not about ourselves. It's about him. Our eyes need to be in the place where they're supposed to be. On our great God who has come to rescue and save us. We are a people who have been impossibly blessed in this world. And we should stop thinking that blessing is more and more and more about getting the things that we want and understand that blessing is about learning how to give it all away. First and foremost, Christ's great love for us. And secondly, how we can become a generous people and honor Him in all things. And this is why we come to communion every single week. It's a place where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. Reminds us of His blood that was shed for you and I so that he can redeem us, that he can bless us, and make us into a blessing as well. Band's going to come up. As they do, like I said, I invite you guys to take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back, and if you need prayer, I mean, you know, maybe you have lived your entire life feeling like you're always persecuted because you don't give or get as much as you think you want. You know, God's not blessing you enough because you don't have a whole lot of stuff. You know, that's not what it's about. Maybe you need to pray with them about that. Maybe you are being persecuted in your life somewhere. You know, maybe you want someone to help you to refocus that. Well, they'd love to pray with you about those things. Um, there's offering boxes in the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. So you have the opportunity every week. We do not pass a plate. You know, it is a response to what God has done, and that's how we give. There's and there's food and stuff in the back. We invite you to grab something to eat, but more importantly, come to baptisms today. Hang out with with other people who love Jesus. You know who are on this you know, journey of, of figuring out th- this life that Jesus has already figured out for us, you know, and hopefully you, know, you at some point you will get involved in one of the gospel communities around here, and that you will, can answer and talk about these questions and go through about you know where do you feel persecuted? where do you feel blessed? And hopefully with other believers around you, you get to the point where you understand that all of our lives have been blessed, because our God is simply so good to us. So today, because of the great freedom that we have. Come to baptisms. I mean, you know how many places in this world that people have to hide getting baptized because they're afraid that they're going to get killed, and yet we get to go do it in a backyard and in a pool and eat fat-free nachos? They're not. (laughs) You know, I mean, where else? Where else? We have been extremely blessed. And so as we live in that blessing, we need to learn how to give it away because our God has been so good to us. Let's pray. Father, this morning. I ask that we would be a people who understand the great blessing that you have bestowed upon us as your people. That we would honor you by the things that we say and by the things that we do. That we would also understand that when we look at our lives and feel like there's got to be more than this, that there is. And it's not more of this given to us. It's more of this where we give away what you have already given to us where we learn to be a blessing. Understanding that the more of a blessing we are, typically the more persecuted we may even become. But that doesn't stop us from being a blessing because you are a God who came and rescued and redeemed your people. You came to bless us and we crucified your son. And that still doesn't stop you from rescuing and redeeming us, So teach us to live lives the same way. That we would understand in a proper way, like Nero was so wrongly mistaken, about how you are a consuming fire. How you consume our hearts and our lives and our souls. And you burn away all the garbage that's there. And you bring us to a purity of heart, of an undivided life. Then lives a life of peacemaking. Because you have first made peace with us. Teach us to understand, as I said at the very beginning, what persecution is and what persecution isn't. Help us to understand our great blessings and to give those blessings away. Father, we thank you for loving us the way that you do. Amen.